to the Line Break Podcast. My name is Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my friend and co-host, Bob Sikora. Hi, Chris. Hey, Bob. We're here. We're here. We're here, and we're so excited to have a guest today. I have a quick bit of housekeeping because it's the first episode since this launched. Um, I have a new literary project. Bob, I think you're aware of it. I am aware. <laughs> uh, my best friend, Brendan Johnson, and I, we um, uh, started what we're calling a band that writes fiction. Um, and our serial novel, Vine, is being released uh, Monday through Friday at storiesfromvine.com or weekly in a uh, podcast audiobook form, um, if you prefer to read that way. Um, storiesfromvine.com uh, is where to check that out. I would love if you all did, although I'd be shocked if you're listening to this podcast and don't know about this. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's real quick, and that's no more we're going to talk about it because we have a truly exciting guest. I was reading the prep docs for this episode. It was just like, oh, yeah, this is going to be fun. Today, we are really thrilled to be joined by Alina Plushkova, who is a poet, editor, and Moscow-born immigrant turned proud Philadelphian. Her first full-length collection, Toshka, was published by Deep Vellum in June 2023, and you can find her both online and in the astral realm. Alina, welcome to the line break. Thank you. Thank you both so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, and we can find you here today. That's incredible. I mean, well, always a little elsewhere. Too. Oh, that's <laughs> <fair>. <laughs> At least 80% of Alina here today. Right, right. That's fair. I'm excited for this. You've already, you know, just prepped us a teeny tiny bit. How are you today? I am doing pretty well. Um, something weird happened at work today. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we, we do. do. Bated okay. breath. We want to hear it. I'm not being glib. Like this isn't funny. This isn't funny. It's just bizarre. Um, I'm in my second week of a new job at a large university, and uh, I work in like higher ed communications. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm just like learning my way around, whatever. And today, like, I'm just sitting in my office and. Uh, I noticed that like no one's in the hallways or anything like everyone has just vanished like kind of you know um, contagion style or something and I don't know what to do so I like I'm like doodling around on my computer and I look on Twitter and I see that the president of the university literally died like dropped dead at an event at a public event in front of a whole bunch of people wow like oh my god and um, they took her to the hospital. There is a hospital, like, on the camp- right. campus. Um, but that, yeah, she just died. She just died today. And then, like, I'm, like, scheduling, like, you know, social media posts and stuff. And oh, my like, gosh. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. How does... Yeah. What do you do? Like, what, what do you do? <laughs> I don't know. if I think they might have released a statement by now, but... Uh, sure. All of the, you know, senior leadership people just got, like, pulled away. And also, like, she's not even, she's, like, the acting president. The, okay. the actual president resigned in, like, a, you know, a cloud of scandals about Oh, her. my gosh. Oh, my <laughs> God. Like, just, like, mess upon mess. And I'm just like, well, I'm here. I, I, you know. Right. I just got here. What are you doing? So that happens. Yeah, just, I just feel like I have an air of, um, Yeah strangeness about me For sure. about, you know yeah, again not making light of this person's death at all she seemed actually much beloved she was like a law professor for a long time and like yeah, uh, yeah. 
big advocate for like public education Philly, which is like, you know, a, a huge um, ongoing issue here. She's 72. She Man. Life but yeah, that would just like hang over me for a bit. Like, yeah, oh. yeah you first, you know, con- condolences to the family and, and loved ones and all that. But um, also like, yeah, you have a right to feel a little weird right now. You <laughs> clearly come from like a hexed place or some sort of, oh, you know. No. It was weird to go back to work too. Like I felt this way. I don't know. I even felt this way when like, I remember being at work and learning that David Bowie died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that day at work. Because it was like an afternoon and I was like, why are we working? <laughs> and that was like, you know, I worked in academic publishing at the time. Like, the, you know, the day wasn't going to stop for David Bowie. Like stop, you know, stop for like right. a wedding because... It was a UK-owned company, but it did not stop for David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, that day was I was working at the used bookstore, and um, at that point when uh, we had another, we had hired well, we trained another guy in the store on warehouse duty, so I wasn't wasn't alone in the warehouse for one day, and then the person <laughs> who was working in the store just came downstairs and was like, "David Bowie's dead," and we're like, "What?" And my coworker was a huge Bowie fan, so yeah. we're just like, "Well, we're done in the warehouse today. We're just going to talk about Bowie for the rest of the day." <laughs> Yeah, what else can you do? That's the only appropriate thing to do. Wow. Yeah, so... I mean, sorry to... That's how you're doing! Yeah. That is a way to be doing, for sure. (laughs) I was... I I was uh, very with you, and I was like, what on earth would cause the hallways at a university, you know, to be... You know, like, there's... I'm sure kind of... There are particular places on a campus that are just busy, you know, that's the thing. And to look outside the you know, window or door or wherever you are and be like, what is happening? Um, my mind went to a very different, 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 different story. Uh, in a previous lifetime as a high school teacher, uh, I was, you know, doing door duty during passing period of a class. And I noticed that, oh, everyone's gone. Where do they go? Where do they go? And so I just cruise down to the end of the hallway and I take a turn. Uh, and these two girls are fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. Very I, had high school. Mo- I had that moment and I, I'm like 24 at the time you know I'm so young but I was like oh shoot I am the adult who's supposed to do something in this situation <laughs> right now <laughs> I do not know what to do what did you do I think I like moved to try and break it up and then somebody else got there and actually like did the breaking up and and basically I think like, like most high school fights once someone kind of tries to break it up it just naturally disappeared and everyone just didn't want to get in trouble i am grateful this was you know just like less social media you know because like no doubt i would have been on some sort of youtube for a second uh, or tiktok or whatever but yeah it's so much worse now you just end up on like a thousand kids tiktoks that you will never see (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh my let's center ourselves bring us back yeah, on the topic of fighting and death, let's talk about your book, Elena. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> uh, so your book came out in June. Um, I'm trying to remember when I read it over the summer. At some point in the summer, I was like uh, in the middle of my summer travels when I read it. It was great. Uh, for, but for that, it was generally great. I loved it. I was excited about it. How do you feel three-ish months since it came out? What is, what are you, how, how's that experience been for you? It's wild. I feel like, yeah, I'm super grateful. This is the first time I've toured uh, Mm -hmm. as a poet. And something about this happening online didn't really hit me. Like when you publish work and it's available, you know, to the public, the assumption is that strangers are reading it, right? But like something about 
reading in cities in front of people I don't know, as opposed to like, you know, in Philly, where like, yeah. scan the crowd, I see familiar faces. Um, something about that um, and people coming up to me who I didn't know after readings and saying things and buying books um, made it feel really real in a way that it didn't before and like really special and um, really moving. Yeah. 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 It's been the best part. For sure. That's awesome. Uh, That's great absolutely. that 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 part of it was a positive experience at first, for sure. Yeah. yeah I and mean, I'm still touring. So we'll see, catch right. me a couple of weeks from now burned out and like oh, right. sick of, of meeting people and stuff. Right. Uh, anywhere you're going soon that you're excited about? Yes, I am. Well, I'm going upstate at the end of the month. Um, but then in October, I'm going to Columbus for the first time. Nice. Um, with nice. my lovely playmates and reading at $2 Radio. So it's me and Stephanie Colley and Rena Shirali coming from Philly and then Kelly Zio from Baltimore. And then in Columbus, we're meeting Hanif Abdurraqib and we're all reading. Cool. And it, yeah, very what, special. What a lineup, man. Yeah, that's going to be so rad. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, like, the next night, we're all going to see the Wonder Years together. <laughs> that rules! Nice. <laughs> Dan is, like, an old friend, and then, like, Hanif knows. It's just, like, a, a beautiful confluence. So, like, I'm excited about it um, for a number of reasons. I think it's going to be really cute. Yeah. yeah. Cute is, like, my highest superlative of, like, what I can call something. There you for go. Sure. Yeah. For, <laughs> for sure. Um, I mean, that seems to be... In line again as an outside outside observer, I you know previously have only known you from the internet. You know my my mate. One of my major impressions of you um, is how you've been one doing poetry. I think doing it very well, but also like being a person in the poet world for a long time in a way that has gained a lot of respect and reverence. And I think that really shined to me when I saw this like lineup for your Philly. Uh, launch of it and my first thought like all facts was I was like whoa this is way too many people <laughs> as someone who likes smaller readings but then you know I saw the the way it was done I believe was uh they were all reading one of your poems maybe one of their own um yep. but you had so many people there to back you up and that's just incredible and I think such a testament to like all that work you know thank you yeah I, I swear I did not mean for that to happen it was like the dead of July, and in Philadelphia, that means shore season, which is like everyone absconds to New Jersey and, right. you know, um, squats on their beaches. And I was like, no one's going to be around. Let me ask, like, these, like, 25 friends, and then, like, if I get half of them, I'll be so happy, you know? And right. then everyone was like, pretty much everyone was like, I'm around. And I was like, shit. <laughs> but then we did it, yeah, we did it marathon style. It was very, like, you know. Right one person after another. And then like, by the time I got up, I was like, I don't even feel like, do I have to read? Do I have to read my book? And also they like, really, they, they were saying sweet stuff. Like these are people I've known for years. who are like, right. you know, like we use the word community a lot, but like truly my, like my community, my people. And yeah, it was, it was really special. Wow. Nice. Amazing. Love it. <laughs> and, and on that, cause yeah, again, thinking of, you know, observing from afar via the internet, how long would you say like, the book has been like, take me on the journey of the book a little bit. I guess in total, it took me like five years from start to finish. Um, and some of that was a little bit of repurposed material from my chat book, which came out in 2017. But right. this really felt to me like the book of like my 
my late 20s, early 30s, like that sure. project, which is like a time in life that I don't know what we call that, like your Saturn return if you're like an astrologically yeah. inclined person. Um, but it's a fucking weird time. <laughs> late 20s, early 30s is a weird time. Uh, I don't think I wrote a word from age 27 to 30, maybe. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's a weird time for everybody, for sure. I think what's 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 weirder is, uh, and I've known this for a while. I, I, Chris can attest to like I, I've been saying I'm old for you know since I was in my mid twenties. You know, um, so I'm 36 now, and just like that idea of like, oh yeah, my late twenties to early thirties is a far is a past period. It's like very much a past period. And I'm out of that. I'm like it's it's still weird now. It's a different weird, but you are right. We don't have a term for that particular part of our lives. Maybe Saturn return. You know, that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but absolutely. What a time. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm 36 and I don't know what that means. I feel like the first person who's ever been 36. Like, I, 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 was like, <laughs> I need to find, like, a poem that someone wrote when they were 36 so I can understand what's <laughs> supposed to be happening. <laughs> <laughs> does that resonate yeah (laughs) no definitely 36 is a weird number i can name like one basketball player that's ever worn the number 36 (laughs) you know it's not it's not a milestone year it's it's funny looking yeah it's you know uh chris 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 as someone who has long long you know done the done the game of you know the the year is your basketball player uh the the age that you are your basketball year is someone who's worn that jersey before. Um, I think you're really missing out here that 36 is your Rashid Wallace year. Well, that was the one I could remember. Or your, Marcus, or your Marcus Smart year. I don't know or anybody who wants a Marcus Smart year. Your Celtic Shaq year. I don't know anybody who wants a Celtic Shaq year. <laughs> um, or your Kevin Looney year. Kevin Looney's pretty cool. Kevin Looney's pretty cool. <laughs> and apologies to Alina for throwing a bunch of random things at you. Yeah, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Alina's like, it's your fucking podcast. Right? Okay. I was, I was mostly, I was just, I pulled up the list quickly and I was like, oh, the 76ers do not have any 36 guys that I could throw at you. But I would say calling it your Rashid Wallace year is the year. That's and the move. Yeah. That's the move. And and Rashid was known for being tough, a little brash. Um, he would shout in the middle of the games about how the ball doesn't lie. Um, yeah, he never committed. He's, he's the first NBA player in the history of uh, of the league to never commit a foul his entire career. He got <laughs> called for a bunch, but he never committed one. He just yelled he's been, like, he's been coy right now. <laughs> he uh, a lot of fouls. I see. Oh, well, that's lost on me. As it's I okay. <laughs> um, I will also I will get yelled at if I don't shout out beloved friend of the show Chloe Ann Clark, who is the biggest Rasheed Wallace fan <laughs> on the planet. But before we get lost in basketball, which we, we easily can do, Already the did. poetry side of this that I want to get lost in is I love this idea of like a poem that mentions the age you're in, and I'm like trying to remember there's we've read a frank bedart one on the show before and i don't remember what year it was but i now i want the anthology maybe just like you know 20 to 39 you know of a poem for each year i i don't think those all exist yet but that's a call for us to write them yeah Yeah. i was i was thinking of that amazing david berman poem uh self-portrait at is it 33 or 34 i want to say it's 34 i think we're right here at google (laughs) 
I, I was going to say, I feel like this is right for Diane Seuss content. I feel like uh, Diane Seuss We're both Seuss off. It's Self-Portrait 28. 28? Self-Portrait 28. Yes. Yeah. So off. I'm disappointed in no. that. No. <laughs> we can edit that. We can edit that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> post. Well, yeah, I feel like I've loved that poem for such a long time. that like, But I also haven't read it in a really long time. So. Right, right. I'm not uh. <laughs> um, okay, I think we could get lost in several of these uh, places. And I do think both of the next portions of this podcast are things we're going to get lost in. Our, our next thing, I'm trying to remember, Chris, when we introduced this, because I think you're the only second person who we've asked this to. You've come up with a list for us of your all-influence starting five roster of five writers or artists or musicians or poems or books or anything um who have had a particular impact on your work and so if you could read us this list and i don't know we'll explicate explicate uh, as many as we want to or as many of it is time for okay in no particular order except the order in which they divinely alighted upon my skull there you let go it <laughs> let it go in linda Gregg, eileen miles carl phillips and stevie nicks what a list. What a list. What a list. Green blunt rotation also. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and sorry to um, the people who are living on this list who may not smoke weed. They're... <laughs> yeah, they're still invited. <laughs> yeah, they can pass. You know. Right. I, I guess I'll lead off just, again, divinely there first. Uh, tell us about your relationship with Leonard Cohen. Oh, it's a long-standing. Listen, I was listening to Leonard Cohen. I'm not even joking this morning, and like I think I'm a little hormonal right now. But like I was just walking from the trolley to work and just crying, listening yeah. to a song that I've heard so many times. But like I've I've loved him, and I was I was crying at this thought too that I think I I've like loved Leonard Cohen for more of my like existence than not at this point. Yeah. In my yeah. Life. And yeah. that's really special because I, I didn't really have like a musical lineage that I inherited from my parents or anything. Mm -hmm. um, as a child of the Soviet Union, <laughs> my parents like exposure to music was limited to like Pink Floyd and like fucking Billy Joel, who I saw against <laughs> in the womb. No offense to Billy Joel. <laughs> my mom went to that famous concert in Moscow and they're like, I had to, whatever. Anyway, yeah. she's pregnant with me. I digress. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, my, my musical discoveries all happened kind of in a vacuum and mm. like no older siblings, whatever, just kind of like got attached to things. And Leonard Cohen, I mean, like the longer that I love his work, the more I find to love about it and the richer that like understanding gets. But initially just like the lyrics were so gorgeous and he just sounded so earnest and so like, you yeah. know, like he couldn't possibly be doing anything else with his time except mm. for this, like, capital P <laughs> poet, you know. And then, like, the more I learned about him, the more, like, documentaries I watched and I read, you know, his poems and all. He left behind, like, a ton of material. So there's, like, right. archives. Um, they're endlessly, like, dredging up more and more. But, like, really um, just respect and admire a lot of his way of existing in the world. And it seems mm. rare and rare to have those kinds of people around you know yeah he's a real poet songwriter i feel like um, yeah you mentioned music that uh your relationship to it gets richer as time goes on i feel like a lot of musicians like it's like oh yeah i liked that when i was in high school or oh yeah i was really into that band when i was in college or whatever and and you know there's not a ton where or i was really into that band at this point in time in my life or whatever there aren't a, a 
ton out there that like get the you know get the favorite music tag or the all starting all, all influence starting five tag that like get richer as you go on that 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 your your relationship deepens and yeah he's one of those so absolutely and he stayed um you know well <laughs> Towards the end of his life, he had to go back on tour because his manager stole all his money while he was in like a Zen monastery. I don't know if you know the story, but God. also he just like, continued making music and making art and like right. uh, seeing someone age publicly as a as an artist is is not often granted to us in that in that kind of visible way where he's like a very public figure. And I think that was beautiful too. Like his his final album that was just all about knowing that he was you know going to die imminently. All of that is. Yeah, just seeing his entire trajectory play out, you know, quickly yeah. is beautiful too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll bring us down to the bottom of the list as long as we're still talking about music. Uh, our cat, currently not in this room, actually, thank goodness, because the door's closed. Uh, we have a cat named Stevie um, after oh, Stevie yeah. Nicks. Oh. <laughs> uh, so a lot of fondness here too. My girlfriend's going to be really excited. <laughs> I named my ex's cat Stevie. She's Perfect. I hope she's doing well. Yeah. Uh, I mean that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then our three poets in the middle, uh, Linda Gregg, Eileen Miles, Carl Phillips. Any you want to highlight in particular? Um, I guess I'll just say that all three of them uh, in very different ways, I think, um, speak in different ways, again, but like in very interesting ways to me about desire in particular. Yeah. Um, Eileen in like a very chatty, conversational way. Carl in a sometimes Baroque, but sometimes very like uh, surprisingly blunt way, which I love. Um, I, his syntax is wild to me. Yeah. Um, no one, like you, you can chop the top off a Carl Phillips poem and immediately identify it, like without <laughs> yeah. attribution. Like that's just, that's incredible to me. And then Linda Gregg, I think, um, speaking to the other end of desire, really like aloneness and um, just like being by yourself and uh, just like reflecting on, on your life and your body and your, you know, self in in that way in relation to desire um was really formative and important to me so all three of them i like tried to take things out of although it might not be readily apparent in, in sure. my work but. sure sure yeah yeah, Love yeah. It. oh and i agree with that it's so interesting of yeah putting the three of them together um i'm probably least familiar with linda gregg's work though i've definitely read some but it, they feel three distinct po- you know distinctly different poets poets Mm-hmm. Um, I know Linda Gregg has passed away. Have you had a chance to meet either Carl or Eileen? Um, I have met Eileen. They would not remember. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like, yeah. I was at an event at the Free Library of Philadelphia, which is like a, a pretty big venue. Um, and Eileen walked into the auditorium and everyone's head swiveled. Like, they just had <laughs> this like, erotic energy that they bring and this charm just like radiating outward. It's like, almost overwhelming it's like you know right one walked into the room or something so i think you know the people just like swarm them all the time yeah 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 you know and i don't actually like my boyfriend made fun of me for this we like i got their new book and like there was a line to get it signed and i was like i don't want to do that and he's like you don't want to talk to like one of your fucking favorite poets that you love so much (laughs) no i don't like i'm okay with like a parasocial like (laughs) (laughs) you know and then we ended up doing it because, like, 
and now I'm happy I have the book signed and they were right. me in it. Like, yeah. <laughs> why am I like that? Why am I like that? Oh, the number of times I've had asked this question myself. Chris, are you a book signing guy? Oh, man. I will see. I don't get out much. Uh, sure. I, I do not, I'm yeah. <laughs> painfully shy and a parent. So, right. um, so there's, so there's that, but when I do, I fangirl out, man. I'm just like, I I get so stoked for poets. And I remember in college when I was going to a lot of readings because, uh, yeah. you know, Josh was throwing them all the time on campus. I was throwing readings all the time. Like, I would get so stoked for these, like, small press poets with, like, one book coming to right, the university. Right. And, like, everybody else would just be like, yeah, it's cool that, like, Patrick's coming or whatever. And I should be like, no, you don't understand, man. And um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big... Uh, I, I can't help myself, even though I am I am shy and I get nervous and and uh, but once I'm once I'm there, if I'm out of the house, all bets are off. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the poet. <laughs> so I, if I put to... my shoes on, I'm meeting the poet and getting my book signed. That's so sweet. And like as you know, on the other end of the exchange, I love that. I love when people come up to me. Right. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very very like when I was a kid, I would cry if my mom was like, "Go ask that person what time it is." Like I'm. I'm Right, yeah. right. As an adult, I can like mitigate it, but it's still, you know, that feeling is still somewhere in me. I'm like, I have nothing to say to them. They don't want right. to hear me, you know. Like, what can, I, what can I say? I, I have like, yeah, parasocially interacted with Carl Phillips on Twitter because I'm such a fangirl, and I post like Carl Phillips deep cuts from like, you know, like janky PDFs that I find and stuff. And then like, he'll see it and he'll be like, wow, yeah, this, I, this poem, whatever. And I'm like, I love you. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> like what what can I say to this <laughs> I, I'm like don't like, don't proceed <laughs> oh. well I also feel like I I, I totally feel like I, t- I totally sympathize with you were talking earlier about being on tour and being like it's weird that strangers have read my book I didn't think that was actually going to happen like um, uh, I totally get that feeling but I also um uh I you know I guess it's been it's I'm going on year three now of like having public facing work and it never gets like any less lonely when you like put something out and then like one person says, Hey, good job. You know, I'm like, ah, oh, I was open. Mm. You know, like, I don't know. It just like, it's always good to tell writers that they're doing a good job. Cause we're a deeply insecure <laughs> ego driven bunch, or at least me. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I just want backpats all the time. Right. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I would agree. I, that's, and that's a helpful reminder. Cause I am with you, Alina. Like I, go to a reading, really enjoy it. Sometimes really, really am excited for the person. And I just go like, if I go up to the table, I don't know that I have much more to say than like, I love your work. And they probably would appreciate that. Um, Or I just always, I don't know, like, I want to be someone who asks a good question during a QA. and a Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Especially because the Q&As are so bad generally. (laughs) (laughs) You know, sit there, I'm just like thinking, 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 like, I got nothing. Bob, I have an idea. Have you ever tried um, uh, commenting more than questioning? <laughs> yeah, you my big, that. my biggest fear. Oh. That's not how it goes. Let us know how it's received. You, you are a white man with a bunch of postgrad degrees. <laughs> oh. I want to say though, you of all people, you ask very astute questions about people's work. This is this is what this this whole endeavor is. <laughs> This takes planning, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this takes planning, and I had one cocktail before this, so. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not normal. Not normal. What I did you off. have? Uh, my, my girlfriend got off work a little bit early, and uh, there's a bar we like that uh, was flying in oysters. I'm in Kansas City. We don't get 
good oysters here uh, and having a, you know, some Negroni specials for, apparently it's Negroni week, I, I guess. So we had a Negroni and a couple oysters um, and fingers crossed the oysters are sitting well with her. I can't see what she's doing in the other room. They're fine for me, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm slinging. It's, we're great. Lovely. Happy Negroni week. To Thank all you. Those. To all those who celebrate, yeah. <laughs> so. Chris, as you alluded to before the show, we send our guests this little preso questionnaire. We started doing that after we didn't do it. Um, and that was foolish, not enough planning, which is overall kind of our, our thing. Um, but uh, ask Alina a couple questions. And there's one where you were just ready to go and you gave us so much good stuff. Um, and I'm going to lead off a conversation probably to further embarrass you. Um, by pointing to a recent Twitter thread, which I'm going to read verbatim, uh, you wrote, uh, my, my book's been out for four months now, and the most beautiful and affirming thing I've grasped is there are many ways to be a poet slash a person who makes art in the world, and I'm so grateful to exist alongside and in the orbit of people who affirm the way that feels right for me. Mostly that I can want my work to find its readers without regarding slash speaking about it in institutionally approved ways, that I can forego gravitas and still care about poetry, that I don't have to want the things I've shown I should want to feel valid, that the vibe can hang loose. Every so often I end up at a very proper thing where they're rattling off three paragraph bios full of insider baseball for each other and there's poet voice happening and it feels like being on an airless planet and I'm so glad to have been shown and accompanied into what else is possible. The next, I should have cut myself off uh, so early because the next tweet did have a, our dearly beloved Uncle Frank uh, quoted in it. Um, St. Francis. St. <laughs> Francis. But um, all this is getting to, you said you've been thinking about publishing. You've been thinking about, like, what is the counterculture in art, or specifically in poetry. And I think me and Chris are both game to have this conversation. It'll probably derail us from what we normally do on the podcast. But, like, I say, why, go, why not go for it? Yeah, this is uh, 100% like my like ethos for living right now the <laughs> lazy and entitled the, the the band that brendan and i started that writes fiction is this is basically our ethos of just like you know screw it we're making art we're having fun and uh the vibe can indeed hang loose so i am so on your side here <laughs> the floor is yours alina let's do it give it to us uh yeah i just made the shaka sign yeah. <laughs> Not appropriate, or it, it's an appropriation of an appropriation. I think. I think like the circus stole it from you know probably indigenous indigenous Hawaiians or something. Probably. Anyway, hanging loose. Yeah, I, and like I hope it doesn't sound like um, I'm just trying to be like a contrarian or like a brat for the sake of it. But maybe this has something to do with like coming up in like punk scenes and stuff. Um, yeah. I have no like musical abilities, like <laughs> you, unfortunately. But like. Um, seeing that kind of like scene and like community, if you will, and then like coming into poetry and then like, I don't know, I'll, I'll, and maybe it's not, there's no point in like trying to make poetry stuff and music stuff analogous in my mind, but like there are similarities, like, you know, oh, 100%. Yeah. Your art, all of that, um, uh, performing in front of people. There are things that are similar about the mediums, but like, you know, you go to shows and bands don't stand there and like rattle off their um, achievements to <laughs> play. And like, I don't know. Um, and and I, I, I think I asked this on Twitter once, Bradley, trying to figure out what, what, and like, I'm not trying to like denigrate anyone. Everyone should be proud of their accomplishments, all of that, of course. But like, I was trying to figure out why we do this because it seems like 
um, and this is a difference between poetry and music that I've observed, like the practitioners or whatever are not also always the audience, like, mm. you know, shows are attended by people who aren't musicians themselves or like whatever. Um, but like, it, it feels a little bit like alienating the audience in some way by like starting off with this like insider baseball that like, what is it signaling to them? Like, do they know what like the XXX review is? Like, I'm not going to name anything real, but like, right. you know, like, who is this for? Is it for each other? Is it like, um, like self-affirmation or whatever? And then like also the other ways in which I've like found certain, you know, like from AWP down, like, uh, <laughs> like professionalized kind of sterile like everyone seems to have gotten the manual on like what words to use to talk about it and how to behave and even how to like sound like the famous now like we all make fun of poet voice but it's, yeah. it's real yeah 100 <laughs> you know? I mean, everyone wants to act like our art is not ecstatic and our art is ecstatic <laughs> yeah. yeah and like and then like you know that was countered by like weird you know we had that like kind of disaffected alt litty moment and like that mm -hmm. seems to have passed too like I'm not advocating for that either but I guess all in all as someone who just like put out a book and I do want like the little carrots that get dangled like I want to go to universities and get that university honorarium you know right, like, right. Yeah. classrooms and whatever but like uh how to do that without having to like present myself a certain way or like you know of course you can't be lazy and just sit there and wait for things to come to you but like this sort of like grind thing about it where like you always have to be publishing and in certain places and like right. you know being visible in that way uh, I really want to resist that like I think I've been lucky so far to like circumvent certain like markers of like how to like get and I'm not saying I've gotten anywhere but like you know even publishing a book and all of that um I don't have like poetry credentials which to speak in terms of like an MFA or anything um Hey, no MFA gang. Jose Olivares <laughs> doesn't have an MFA either. Yeah. We found that on this podcast. Oh, yeah, a lot of a lot of my favorites don't. I think yeah. Eileen doesn't. No, absolutely not. <laughs> and like uh. the same basis now all of a sudden. But, <laughs> yeah, I just like you know, I, and I don't know. Like, there's like questions in here somewhere, but like mostly, I'm just thinking about like you know. I, I, I want to think of poetry, and maybe this is naive, and like maybe this isn't true for everyone, for some people, but it is like, um, you know, they publish so they can get tenure or like be lauded by their peers or like institutions and like get big grants and like, you know, whatever. But the way I came into it was like, yeah, more like I thought of it as a counterculture, where like I read a lot about like, mm. like yes, tweets yeah. and like then like the New York School and whatever, and like people who kind of like, you know, we're on a lot of different substances, but like came together and like we're broke and like um, railing against, you know, what was happening at the time, like politically and culturally and like writing about, you know, queer life and writing about like being broke and, and all of that. And um, when I see like these and like, you know, there's many different modes of, of poetry, whatever, but like it did confuse me when I was younger of like, I guess, like trying to understand, like it felt like poetry was like a big high school cafeteria and I had to like pick a table to sit sure, at. Sure, sure. <laughs> I have friends who are like fancy, capital P poets. Yeah, right. Like, I have friends who are, are totally not that at all. And like friends who do like spoken word and like we're all over the place, but like um, trying to figure out how to like still exist and have an audience and publish without like having to go the prescribed route mm -hmm. that seems to be like at the fore depending on where you look i don't know and i right. feel like it's really gotten more pervasive maybe it's like the rise of the mfas and like all of that i don't really know what to attribute it to 
Um, but yeah, I've just been thinking about all of that. I don't know if any of that resonates. But Absolutely. Bob, Absolutely. I'm going to try not to talk too much because this gets me just going. <laughs> um, but I think you're totally right to connect it to the punk scene. I mean, I came out of the punk scene too. Like I started going to shows when I was 13. So it's basically all I know. And um, yeah, it, I just, I think that like it, you, you talk about like, the poets who got together and were railing against whatever's going on politically or, or, or socially at the time and stuff. And I think that like is still such a necessary function of our art. I think this is true of both poets and punk rockers, that it's a welcoming space for marginalized mm. people. Um, it's a, a place of unbridled freedom of expression, but like not the way that like conservative goons like Joe Rogan always say freedom of expression, but like, you know, like a, a, an uplifting and and welcoming freedom of expression, even if we're talking about nasty stuff, you know. Uh, and I, I think that like, I don't know, the best readings I've ever been to, one of my favorite readings I ever did was at the uh, the Green Mill in Chicago at an open mic, and they just had a jazz band playing behind everybody. Mm-hmm. And you just like went up and the band played whatever and you played and the crowd could like could vote you off stage by like, by, you know, I forget the system, but they could like voice displeasure or, yeah. or, or encouragement. And it was like so thrilling to read with a band behind me. And then the, the other great readings were the ones that my friends and I threw in college. And I will not talk about myself, but shout out my friend Quinn Slovak, who was, would kind of MC them. And we would, you know, we'd had like in a, in a three bedroom apartment in Rogers park, we would, you know, have like, I don't know, 30, 40 people and yeah. someone would get up and read poets and poems and we would, you know, we we're in college. So we didn't have like credentials. We would just be like, you know, we just make up some bullshit about a person, you know, <laughs> like this person, you know, I, this, this next poet, I once saw wrestle a bear in the Alaskan wilderness or, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, make up stuff and stuff. And it was just like, you know, it was rowdy and raucous and kind of off the walls a little bit, but then at the, at, you know, it was still about the poetry. Everyone would shut up and then read, read poetry. And it was, I don't know. That felt like home to me more than any kind of like, you know, an auditorium at a university and like it's <laughs> AWP and all the, all the national book award winners are in town and you gotta, you gotta, you know, put on a collared shirt or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Not to say that that's not a bad thing either. Like uh, that, 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 that's not a good thing either. Like, I don't know. Poetry should be everywhere, but I'm on your side, Alina is where all that's going. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, I think what you're, uh, gesturing towards too is like I, I didn't articulate this well that like there is so much you know you know poetry everywhere that um is more like formalist in nature and and you know has the gravitas or whatever that is talking about like urgent and important and necessary topics to to like parrot the then the nomenclature of like this world you know everything's right. urgent or whatever so I'm being mean again but like <laughs> Please. It's, it's, it's topical Please. and like it, it gestures to like you know and it's like neoliberal way often it does mm-hmm. right but i guess like the messiness is what i'm like craving like the, right like, yeah you know. and it's right. not in poetry where you know right yeah i mean I talk about yeah the, that messiness you're speaking to is like the first thing i think of when i think eileen miles going back there you know yeah. talk about a model for that hell yeah um I, I've been thinking, I'm trying to remember when I read what you wrote, but I've like been thinking about it nonstop since then because I'm with you both, fully with you both. But I, I think, like you said, Alina, um, in spite of my reservations and questions and concerns about capital P poetry world, I do also very much feel the like, 
want my book published, want, you know, whatever affirmation right. I can get. Yeah, like I would be thrilled to ever get some, you know, money from a college reading. Um, and also like I simultaneously feel very much, Chris, like what you're saying. I liked my MFA a lot, but truly when I talk to someone who's like going into it, I'm like the best thing we did was we threw a reading series at our house. That was the best thing we did during that time. But I do also like going to a university reading sometimes, <laughs> you know, and there's a weird way I've been trying, I'm going to say this messy and not be happy with it, but I'm going to say it anyways, that like, I feel like the Academy, uh, like takes over, uh, subsumes. There's another word I wanted to use. Um, a lot of stuff that once was radical, you know, like the thing. Oh yeah, that happens. Yeah. The the entire genre of jazz music. (laughs) Right. Right. Like the thing that always just like hits me, um, and I think in a really cool way, you know, it's just that, like, like we read Allen Ginsberg in high school, you know, yeah. like in a high school class, like that was considered canon. And that's really cool. But I do think also, like, as a consequence of that is some of that, like, narrowing of uh, a way that there's, like, acceptable radicalism or acceptable responding to what's going on. And also, I think this narrowing, I, I know I'm, like, mixing up what I'm saying right now, but this narrowing of paths or at least like paths that seem visible to be a successful poet i do think it's true of like lots of art forms right now i think this is a thing that's happening all over and i don't at all have an answer of how to combat it and i don't feel good about it well i will say to your point bob about radicalism being subsumed one thing universities are good for is preservation sure i think you get a lot of you you get like library archives and 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 the fact that you know ginsburg becomes a high school reading assignment or i learned about franco hair in college stuff like that it's good for that you know like the preservation of art but um, in the in the present day yeah i don't know i get always yeah i always get uncomfortable talking about these kind of things too in the sense of like i like to think of myself as this kind of weird fake academic i teach at a community college um, you know, so like somehow I kind of have done that thing, but I am not writing the theory essays that some of my colleagues are and stuff, and I'm not presenting at things. And uh, I get the exact same AWP. I've still only been once or twice uh, coming to Kansas City this year. I'm excited about that. But like the weirdest, weirdest vibes of all time at this like institutional, formal, stuffy. You have to pay a lot of money to even show up. You have to pay a lot of money to sell your books. Like, you have uh. to wear a lanyard. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine like Rimbaud or like wearing a lanyard. Yes. Or just showing up to something like that. You know, it'd be like, what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. Lanyards are for like defense contractors in Northern Virginia. Oh, it's, it's. Obscene. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh. Well, on the obscenity of lanyards, should we move into poems? <laughs> probably, because I think we all probably could just like spit stuff about that and not yeah. come to any conclusions. <laughs> um, but I hope uh, a listener can hear all of our like unease, at least, with something about poetry land. Um, let's read a poem. Good with poems? Uh, our first poem is what we call, you know, what we, what we sort of call our, the, the cover poem. Um, Elena, who, uh, who and what did you bring to us today? I brought a French poet named Stéphane, I don't know if it's Bouquet or Bouquet, um, from the book Common Life, 
which was translated by Lindsay Turner, also an excellent poet, yeah. and published by Night Boat Books. Yeah. Yeah. And the poem is called Without. Without. We must always alight on the livingness of things. At breakfast, someone. The winters are warming, so the electrical companies make less profit. Or else they're going to destroy an unprofitable hospital and its precious art brute frescoes. Oh no, says common indignation, but yes. Though if I watch mostly the splendor of motes beneath the oblique and hesitating light of morning, perhaps the sky has Sunday as its only actual project. Before there were dozens of ducks, where are they? The tearful owners sigh. What's left is the noisy profusion of insect trees and their foliage feeble respite. Even if I wanted to say it's fully snowing today, I mean that quasi-pharmaceutical protective powder naturally preventing fear. It is not, however, going to snow at all, but there are lots of soldiers in the streets these days, a sort of consolation prize, like living in an unhurtable bulletproof vest. In the end, poet equals the indefatigable maker of shield sentences behind which to hide, to recalm gently the calm of safe and sound. What is it to live? This time, etymology isn't going to be much help. In Indo-European, to live already meant, it seems, to live and nothing else. Back to the beginning. Perhaps it's enough to accumulate a bunch of gestures and see what the meaning is at the end, or not meaning. Apricot trees exist. Apricot trees exist. Inger Christensen. And there isn't any useful meaning. One day, the jellyfish in turn found that their form fit the circumstances and stayed in it. That's what matters to sink into the ideal or provisionally ideal form. Of course, these days, the Marie Antoinettes of the financial aristocracy stuff themselves with gluten-free brioche. Oh, little spelt, she purrs, swooning on her silken divan, body chiseled to a moneyed svelte. In the end, it is perhaps better that the world just melts as fast as possible. There will be a new flood. I apologize to all the sacrificed species, polar bear and monk seal. I am sorry. Then the Neo-Greek will come to explain the two fundamental reasons for being. Usia, as the ancient Aristotle said, matter without actual project, but full of desire, the foremost being, I need badly to caress you. Everything happens in Syntagma Square, the great hopefulness of assembled sentences. Come, he says. We must learn to add up in this bereft world. Imagine the inauguration of the without republic, without the lazy possibility of landscapes. I mean, where to laze and lounge, the banks abruptly shut by unilateral decree, as if the reserves of saliva were exhausted or uncertain, without a certain number of promises, nevertheless marvelously to be kept, without the light of evening when the sun wastes us generously at our backs, without a single name to call, without general strike or the consolation of back alleys where the stray cats wander, without the list of all the rest, which I cut short and which was truly also possible. Yeah, what a poem. What a poem. Oh my god. Yeah, good to have a long poem on the podcast sometimes. <laughs> yeah. That was one of his shorter ones. That's oh, my- oh, love it. Love it. Uh, uh, I'm going to was... edit Bob and I out, but we both laughed. And yeah. uh, where was the line? Um, uh, the, the brush. Uh, 
Yeah, the, 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 the Marie Antoinettes of the financial aristocracy stuffed themselves with gluten-free brioche. <laughs> a little spelt she purrs swooning on her silk. What a, what up, man? This is a poem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's so interesting to hear. It's one of the short ones in the collection because that was my first thought. Uh, you know, it's, it's fun when you, you know, you see a loose poem, someone you're not familiar with, you haven't read the collection, and to be like, and when it's this good, you'd be like, are they, are they all like that? Are they, are they like... They're like that and more. It's just like, that's part of what I love about his work. They're just like this, like, constant movement and momentum where it feels like, and I love this too, like this poem and, and all the others, I think there's no, like, um, what my friend Ted Rees calls the Tada ending. Like, there's no epiphany. Yeah. Just, it feels like uh, he would just keep going after you leave. Like, you leave the page or the poem or the book and he's still going, you know? And yeah. I love him that does that. I think it's really... Um, hard to pull off to make yeah. it feel like it, but also that like it's not doing the ta-da thing you know yeah yeah i love that i love that it's a certain kind of spell casting that happens with a long poem mm. a really successful long poem you just get like swept up into it i have to shout out the great southern poet or the great midwestern poet abraham smith who is really good at that yeah um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, that's a little bit of the why but yeah officially why this poem why'd you choose this one um, well, one, because it was one of his shorter um, sure. poems. I, I, I love his work so much, and uh, I was thinking, I mean, of all the poets that I could have picked for this, I wanted to pick someone who wasn't an American poet, just because mm-hmm. um, yeah. we have our ways here of uh, not reading a ton of work in translation. And I mean, the royal way, I'm sure people are better at it than <laughs> maybe me and others. But um, being published by a press that really values work in translation has made me rethink my own reading habits. Um, shout out to Deep Bellum for, for doing the work. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing. And another thing is that, like, yeah, I, I find his work so remarkable. It's like um, Frank O'Hara and James Schuyler, um, but, like, in, in Euro. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know, it's not, like, it's not, it's more apparent in other poems, but, like, they're super queer and lusty and, like, wry and conversational and immediate. Um but also because he's like French, also like passionate and like fatalistic and like has that like less of like O'Hara's like optimism and like ebullience and stuff and like more of like kind of like, ah, you know, look at this. <laughs> um, and, and I really love a poem that like is politically aware in these ways without like being um, like flat footed um, or like yeah. You know, Heavy handed about it, um, to, to use two metaphors like that. Like, 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 yeah, they both poetry. work. No, I have read, say I've, that. I, I read, I read submissions for a lit mag, and I have read a lot of poems lately that are both flat footed and heavy handed. <laughs> well, both parts of the body that should not be used to metaphors. Um, yeah, I also like that it's, um, it, it, his work feels very contemporary, but not in like that internet poem way. Like, yeah. there's like substance and texture and like, references that aren't hyper contemporary and, and like unexpected movement, unexpected turns. Um, but it, it's very situated in the present and it, and it makes that obvious and known, but, um, yeah, it's just, it, it, I could go on and on. I'm, I'm really, my, my, um, one of my like big things that draws me to work is, um, like voice, like something that's voice driven. Like if it's a voice that I want to follow, I will mm. just like, I could read like a 40 page poem by him. I happily, you know, like, and, and, and I, I would be content knowing that, like, whatever he's talking about, I'm interested because of the way that he's saying it, you know? Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's kind of ineffable, but, like, I know it when I see it, when I, like... Right. I leave oh, definitely. About too. Like, it's just, like, it feels like they're on the other end of the phone line and you don't want to hang up, you know? Like, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I was going to say, I, I agree with all these traits that I'm seeing in just this poem, but yeah, you're pointing to all these things where I'm like, I don't even know how to copy this if I wanted to, you know? like. Right, but it makes me want to write in that yeah. way. Yeah. 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 And, and also shout out to Lindsay Turner for the translation, which mm-hmm. I, I feel probably has like a lot to do with uh, why I love it so much. Cause I don't, I don't, I couldn't read in French if I tried, but I was reading about, um, how, how this like pairing came to be and she just saw him read at like an event like a an event her friend threw and he read in French and she was like I would like to translate you because like you know probably had the same feeling I had reading in English where I was like I want everyone right. to his work which I thought was sweet like that's cool that's, that's delightful that's proof of concept of what we were just talking about <laughs> yeah, exactly yes uh, and I, yeah, I just to again continue to shout out translators and Lindsay here in particular of just this is one of those poems where I'm sure it's really good in French, but like it feels like how on earth would you even get to some of this? Is, what what a skill! I I, I don't have words right? to, to, to transpose someone's voice like that, where it feels like all the poems. Like I feel like there's like a distinct voice coming through, and mm-hmm. like how do you? I don't. Translation is like a alchemy that I just do not understand. Agreed. Right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's get a let's let's uh burrow further into the poem what's um what's the move for you yeah i guess i guess i should, I should you're, you're not bob you don't get asked what's the move in this poem a lot um how do we phrase <laughs> this what's the part of the poem or specific poem moment that excites you the most that's how we do it yeah i, I just think it's like that propulsive quality like i don't even want to like highlight a specific line or mm-hmm. a phrase and i also think that's if i could just keep like pointing out things that remind me of other things i love about his work there you go. Um, it doesn't it doesn't feel like he's trying to write like quotable lines for you to like mm-hmm. immediately take a photo of and like post to your grid which i, I do that i do that with right yeah. like we um, all do yeah it's just like it keeps cascading and you can't like you know, or maybe that's the way that I chose to read it, but the sort of like almost like breathless quality that yeah. it has, it's moving and moving and moving the way that like, it mirrors the way that like my thoughts move anyway. Like I understand the speaker's way of like um, thinking and communicating uh, his, his, you know, existence, like his way of being in the world, you know, um, I can't do it as well as he can, but there is just like, this like zooming all the time of like um, sometimes you're like in this like quotidian like present grounded mm-hmm. moment and then other times you're zoomed out to like human existence as a whole and what he thinks about it and then like back down you know like yeah. talking about what his lover is eating for lunch or something and then like right back out and like to achieve that so like seamlessly to me yeah um, yeah just like I, I really admire it <laughs> absolutely <laughs> I for sure. There's something about this where read it for the first time yesterday. I was like, whoa, there's a lot here. I don't know how we're going to talk about it. Read it again, read it again, was going to give it one more read. And I was like, you know what? Like, I, I think this has just got a lot of that, like really kind of slippery to talk about thing that it, that, you know, kind of, I think this is somewhere in, you know, the notes of like, talk about a hard poem to even like say like, it's about this thing. Which is also like, oh, I've been thinking about this a lot too, you guys. The aboutness of a poem and how much I really want to resist it. Like, when you mentioned this um, before, when you very kindly... We, we, we talked book. about it a lot with your poem, yeah. read, which yeah. listeners can go listen to that episode right now and then come back and listen to the rest of this one. You caught that, and I was so pleased because I think there are ways, like, I, and I hope I do it successfully, but I, I certainly think that he does um, in a lot of his poems is, like, convey, like, 
a, an atmosphere, a mood, a feeling, an idea, mm. a, a concept, whatever, without having to make the whole poem be about that thing, you know? Yeah. That thing. Or like when, you know, people are like, when you publish a book or like, with any kind of art, like, what is that? What is it about? You know? Can we, can we stop doing that? <laughs> yeah. How do we give a particularly a non-writer audience, an easy question that they can ask a poet about their work that is not, what's it about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, oh my God, this is, this, is so, this is such an annoying thing to say, but like, I think it has to do with like shyness actually and like, you know, whatever in social situations where and like being a spacey person, whatever. But like, it feels like a version of small talk where I would rather someone like ask me some kind of like you know, soul excavating question. And like, I will go there with them, you know, yeah. I will go to the depths in that way. And like, through that, I will tell you what my book is about. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you can just ask me like, you know, what, what my, what my nightmares consist of or something. Or like, you know, the worst thing my mother's ever said to me or something. And like, we can like, <laughs> and like, is that how people should talk to each other? Like in normal public settings? Absolutely not. But like, I would be more comfortable. <laughs> Yeah, there's a Paul Salon, I think famously was like, people would ask him like, what, what, I think ask him like, why didn't he ever write more directly about like his experience in the Holocaust or whatever? And he's like, I put everything in the poems. It's all there for you to figure out. And then you go read Paul Salon poetry and you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I love, love Paul Salon poetry. Love that he was just like, if you want my experiences, they're on the page and you have right. to excavate them. Right. Oof. For real though. For real though. Yeah. Like- like I'm a queer person, I'm an immigrant, but sometimes I'm just like a woman eating a sandwich, you know? And like, I, like not everything has to be like leaning forward into like explaining like, oh, like I'm writing about this because like I am this kind of person and like this is right. whatever. And like, because you have this, like, because I have, like I live a queer life, my poems will be queer, you know, by, by default or whatever. Like it's, it all comes out in the wash and like, I don't have to be so like overt about things. Mm. Like I think about this kind of like, you know, self-consciously, I think about this like, signaling or like really trying to resist like when when I was writing my book like mining familial trauma for like you know writing yeah. those kind of diaspora poems that like certain journals really salivate over and just like mm-hmm. feeling a little gross about that um you know but then like how else to like explain myself and so like I had to like you know find a less uh direct way to do that I've mean, I, 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 like deviated no well, that's no so that's good. good that's another mission of poetry <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> I've been thinking about that exact thing of, of directness recently. Um, I won't get into all the details. But like, I, I had this revelation. We went to a music festival over the summer, and there was an artist I really liked, and me and my girlfriend were really into it. Uh, the friends were not into it, and then the next guy gets on stage, and I never heard of this guy, and not just like her friends, but I think all her friends were only like kind of mid on the guy, but just like everyone around us knew this guy, loved this guy. And for me, like the great takeaway that like his banter before a song was just like the main lyric in the song that explained what the song is. And it was like this moment for me was like, that's what I hate about certain types of music is like, where you're just telling me the thing. I don't, don't tell me the thing, give me the experience. And that's so much of probably why we love poetry is like so much of it is trying to just like give us the experience without, you know, serving on a platter. Cause the experience, I, I think what you're speaking to is it's all of it. You know, it's totally. all of those things are happening at once. And 
we're trying to communicate some of it somehow, but like, please don't spell it out for me. <laughs> and life is just too strange for, for yes, accept that kind of way of, you know, 100%. You know, yeah. Neat, simple. Yeah. Ugh. I think that tangent was perfect. Yeah, and that, that kind of <laughs> answers the what's going on beyond the page for you. But it's if you true. have anything else for what's going on beyond the page, we can stick with this poem or we can we can move to yours. Uh, whichever, uh, unless you have anything else to say. I, um... No, I feel like I said what I said. <laughs> I like, no, I really, I, I would encourage uh, people to look up his work. It's yeah. fantastic. There's quite a bit of it online. Um there's this poem, Light of the Fig, that's gorgeous, that's, like, excerpted somewhere, and you're like, oh, my God, the, the first line, you're just going to, like, tumble into it. It's so beautiful. I promise. I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm oh, definitely yeah, bookmarking um, this yeah. poem because I, I haven't read a collection with good long poems in it in a while. Right. My right. unpublished manuscript has a bunch of long poems in it. But... <laughs> uh, shout out also again to Nightboat Books. Also, Nightboat Books, please take Chris's book. Hey, that's um, a place to submit. You know what? I'm going to bookmark that too. And be like, you know what? They, they publish great books. Oh, the other. They right. publish such good books. This is also cool. Um, Common Life, uh, the book that I read from, uh, it's not just poems. There's like a play in here. And like, oh, sick. Yeah. Like, he just does whatever he wants, which I also love. It's not a neatly right. categorizable book, which is terrific. <sighs> Yeah. Non-U.S. writers yes. are so good at that. U.S. writers are like, it's always like, are you a poet or are you a fiction writer? And I, whenever I say both, right. people look at me funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right. Because we, yeah, we are getting too long. We're not quite there, but we're getting too long. We ask you to bring in a poem of yours. Uh, we won't, you know, deep dive into it the same way, but we at least want to hear it. Let the theoretical audience that we hope is listening um, hear your work um, and then shower you with some Yeah, we, we love Stefan, but you're our guest today, Alina, so. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, uh, fair enough. You should have him on. I, I, I bet he, I bet he'd come on. Okay. Um, so this, sorry, I picked a, a longer one of mine too. Didn't mean to do that. Perfect. Yes, no, no, this is good. It's called Vulnerability Engine. Fuzzy sunlight, lines coming in all clipped. I cast off gaggy assurances on tea bags, chocolate foil, the yogurt lid, etc. My form is a body. Got it. I even know some of its constraints. Can't open intimacy like a door, size to propel itself around, starts to visibly emote, and backpedals into hard to explain over text. There's a sort of stamina in hanging out, waiting to feel certain or to arrive, how limited your motions become. Emma writes, I just want to hop from dysfunction to dysfunction, and I think of water lilies, how each piece of a rhizome can spurt a whole new plant, how each new ache takes root in adjacency to another one. I take endless pics of my legs, framed in a rotating series of sidewalk mirrors while waiting to get buzzed in upstairs. The shop owner leaves them out every day, and I've never seen so much as a crack on one. It's the best spring my legs ever had, pumping up and down the stairs to someone waiting in their fourth floor walk-up, fucking away my lunch break, transitory banter, tending to dailiness. I broke up with everyone in the same dizzy spell of a week, It was hardest with you. I talked about liminality and felt so foolish. 
In Russian culture, to speak or touch or hand objects over a threshold is to invite rotten luck. That's all I wanted to relay. I've grown into knowing no one registers the gooey human displays one self-admonishes over, but nonetheless waited to sob in the Twombly room, subsumed by those giant canvases and piling new words, a careful and hopeless kern. Like, when I said do whatever you want to me, what I meant was get me out of here. I keep still sometimes for hours and all the wrong details creep in. Debt down to the scent, cherished faces of those long or recently gone. What my body withstood felt again as a literal muscle memory. My mother tells me how her friend Tanya manifested her dream lover. She bought a pair of slippers in the dream lover's presumed size and wore them around while talking to them. This helped her get a clear sense of the dream lover's attributes, my mother explained, even the make and model of his car. When Tanya's dream lover appeared, they moved to Switzerland with his sports car and the slippers. It happened just that way. If things turned out differently, it would have been a bleak story. A lonely woman talking to a pair of slippers, not even in her size. Where I come from, prosperity and desire fulfillment hinge on superstition and the stars, but it's uncouth to call it out like that. If it had turned out differently, my mother said, I wouldn't have told you the story. Would proship, meaning be simpler, or to translate another way, name your need and call it home. Ooh. Yeah. That is a poem. Oh, what a last line, thank man. Thank you so much. What a last stanza. Oh, thank you oh, so that's much. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that was really fun for me. Of uh, I pulled it up, was looking at it, and trying to like remember it, but it was like midway through the poem where I like remembered reading it in the collection. Oh, there's so much there. There's so much there. And I think you're doing lots of things that you are also praising. Um, for kind of just a, a question about this, and again, trying to uh, specifically trying to not have something like what the poem is about. Um, I, I think knowing especially that frame that you said of this book being about late 20s, early 30s, like that, if we can get to an aboutness or like it's, you know, that being part of it. Um, I'm always curious, uh, like, what would you say would be like some of the initial impulse of like what brought this about? Cause there's so much here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also like, like I said, I like the bratty declarations that I make, like I realize we do have to talk about like what things are about. That's like, you know. <laughs> no, <we don't. laughs> but uh, I think this poem, um, and maybe this is part of why I picked it is it like, um, pulls together a lot of themes that I found myself like circling around when I was writing this book, um, right. how much superstition plays into my life. Yeah. yeah. Even when I'm like winking and like acknowledging it, um, the story that my mother told is real. Like I, I say this at readings, like literally, like she she told me this story. It happened to her friend, and she's relaying it to me as if it's advice. Like you know, like this is the extent to which like this mystical shit is just like part of like the fabric of like you know regular like you know known life for me absolutely um, and so thinking about that a bit um thinking a lot about yeah like various types of longing and like driftiness mm. and like dissatisfaction where like and like i heard this in when this book was in its like 
what I thought were like final like editing stages before I like tried to call it a manuscript or whatever I brought it to a, a, a workshop and like I really thought this book was a lot about like sex and desire and like whatever kind of um you know in a sexy way and like it was pointed out to me that it's just like a like a it's a lot about like detachment and like loneliness and like kind of looking at these things from on high you know like where it's like yeah I'm like having a lot of sex and like whatever um you know doing whatever I want but like I'm not, um, it's not like a, a, a cautionary bleak tale, nor is it like a tale of mm. joyful sexual liberation. And like, it's harder to, to be that way because it's like, um, the, the way that I thought that that would go was like taught to me by like riot girl where I was like, yeah, empowered sluts, we're doing it, you know? And then like, that didn't really like, that felt a little one dimensional to me once I started living it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then like contending with like the boredom and the dissatisfaction and like, also, like, the darker stuff that can happen in, in that mode without, like, disavowing it was something that I was thinking about a lot when I was writing yeah. this book. Um, just that. Just, just, <laughs> just that kind of... No, I think that's great. I think, yeah. I think there, is something, there is something, like, sexy and erotic about being casual about sex, about being like, this is part of <laughs> life and we're not going to be freaking weird about it, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I don't know. This this poem does read as sexy to me, I would say. Like, um, <laughs> also, like crying uh, in front of Cy Twombly paintings. I think it was just like, yeah, just like realizing that like I, I even if you say yes to whatever you want and like do whatever you want, that like um, that, that the satisfaction doesn't arrive the way that you thought it would and like what to do instead. Uh, yeah, mark. there's a very, like, you know. We were talking about our ages earlier. There's a very 35 to 36-year-old way of looking at the world and just like accepting, you know, so you, you, you just use just sort of taking all aspects of it in, especially with like a long poem and stuff. Um, yeah, no, I think it's a mature way of looking at, looking at sex and eroticism yeah. and crying in front of paintings and things like that. <laughs> I, I really love, there's a way and this may not be true. I, I perhaps am projecting, but yeah, like this, you know, it feels like, because I think you gave some really good summary of the aboutness of the book there, of this poem here, you know, even in trying not to. And, and you know, maybe this way of like, you have to write the book and get through all this and even have some distance from the book to be like, oh, no, I know it's about, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, that rules. Yeah. Um, again, for listeners, uh, I keep saying it wrong. How do I pronounce the name of the book? Well, it's. I, I think, like in English, it would just be uh, Tosca. Like in Russian, it's Tosca, but like you know, we don't need to be okay. pretentious about it. <laughs> um, Tosca. Sorry, Chris. I keep knocking over coins. You can probably hear it in the it background. Uh, <laughs> uh, Deep Vellum. Um, shout out to them. Um, how are we going to wrap this podcast up, Chris? Uh, you know, I was, I was thinking about it. I was, I was thinking about, um, uh, you know, how to tie in punk rock and basketball, which I usually am thinking about those two things. Um, I, okay. I was, uh, uh, you, you know, briefly thinking about uh, the prowess of the Russian basketball team and, and the, the great influx of international players, especially since the collapse of the Soviet Union um, and all of that. But I think really what I wanted to do I think we were talking about it before you got on, Bob, uh, is just clear out, you know, high pick and roll, let Alina gush about Philadelphia for a little bit, because I yes, please. also love Philadelphia, even though I was telling Alina, I think I've spent a cumulative of 15 hours there, uh, a stop on a tour with a band, and 
I love it. Aline is really stoked about Philadelphia. Let's talk about Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, again, as I was telling you before we started recording, I don't want to say it too loudly or too enthusiastically because then my rent will continue to go up. But like, <laughs> because when I say that I like something, people automatically, you know, people will um, listen to this podcast and immediately go to Philadelphia because of what I am saying. The three of us on this call are the, the great taste makers of our time, yes. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, no, it's it's such a such a special place and a great place to be a poet i want to say a great place to be any kind of artist really and it's just like and maybe this kind of like regionalism is like apparent in other cities i don't know but like i really love i describe it as like a baby recognizing itself in the mirror when like philadelphia sees philadelphia do something (laughs) it gets so excited like whether it's like winning a game or just like being on the news for literally any reason at all like (laughs) It's just like that's us. That's yeah. I get so excited and it's so cute. It's like this, like you know, very like scrappy underdog mentality thing where it's like, don't talk shit about our shithole city. It's our shithole city, but we're gonna talk shit on it. But like, don't you fucking dare! It's the best place in the world, kind of thing, you know. And I just find it so charming, like that Philadelphia. The day after we won the Super Bowl and the day after we won the World Series, you know, in my recent lifetime, we're just like beautiful. Someone bought me a bagel. Like I was Love just standing it. behind the line. They just like paid for my bagel. People were smiling. People were holding the door open for you instead of letting it like, hit you in the face. It was just like charmed, charmed life, you know? Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. Maybe that happens in other cities too, but like it feels no, the, the city of Chicago is famously modest about itself for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I taught, I taught my son I, uh, when he was four. I said, uh, do you know what people from Chicago say? People from Chicago say, I'm from Chicago whenever they feel like it. And so he started doing that. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. Yeah, the, there, there is that uh, sense of like, um, yeah, underdog mentality that like, yeah, you don't get to, you don't get to talk shit on us. We talk shit on us. Like that sort of thing that um, I feel about Philadelphia. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great place. Love it. Bob, have you been to Philadelphia? I've never been to Philadelphia. I hate to admit okay, it. Okay, next time AWP's in Philadelphia, we're going. You and me, we're having a line break it's live on reading. on the list. I hope to get there sooner than that. Yeah, we'll see. I'd like to get back there sooner than that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, mostly I'm mad that I didn't make it down there when I did live on the East Coast. Um, it was on the agenda, but things didn't, yeah, things didn't happen. Um, your sales pitch is good. I'm luckily not moving there anytime soon. Um, I, I will say one of the things that Kansas City recently took is uh, we had the highest rent crease in the in the country this year. Oh, Kansas um, City! So, yeah, <laughs> so we're having that problem right now. But I think everywhere is what a what a lame note to end the podcast on. We were just gushing about Philly, and then I bought a brand. <laughs> ah. I was going to say earlier, Alina, pick a neighborhood you don't mind gentrifying, and then shout it out so that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some places are so far gone. Like, they're, they're this town. It's already like, you know, there's like dog yoga studios and shit like that. Like, yeah, if, you, if you're thinking about Chicago, everyone move to River North or Lakeview. Those two neighborhoods are <laughs> real up and comers, you know. Yeah, those people should like, yeah, just be, you know, cordoned off just, with each other. And, right. You know, <laughs> leave, leave the rest of the city to the, uh, to the four-wheelers and Allen Iverson jerseys. Please, please. <laughs>
I was like walking, I was walking to the subway the other day and Drumline Elmo was just like going by and I was just like nonplussed and I was like, wow, I really do. I've been here a really long time. But... Drumline Elmo. That's the Elmo. sign of a beautiful city when you have Drumline <laughs> yes. Elmo. Incredible. Yeah, just, it was just like a Wednesday evening. Like there was no real, you know, no cause for it. And I was like, oh, okay. And just like kept walking. That's beautiful. Here's the note we're ending on. We're ending on four wheelers, <laughs> Allen Iverson jerseys and Drumline Elmo. <laughs> Alina, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Awesome. Oh, uh, should we, we should plug. You, we got the book. Uh, do you want people to find you on the internet? Do you want to plug that? Or do you want to be mysterious? Oh, Find no. you in the astral realm? Come find me. Come come find me on your uh, platform of choice, and I might be there. There you go. That works. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a shell account. Um, your, your platform of choice, and Alina might be there. That's what we're leaving you with. Um, our uh, music is done by Brennan Johnson. Our art is done by A.M. Strickland. And we will talk to you all next week.